You are listening to Service Course by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello, I'm Tom Wally, not a professional cyclist, and I am with Lizzie Banks, who is for real a professional cyclist so professional that she's going to race this weekend i was going to say it's getting a bit questionable as whether i'm as to whether i'm a professional cyclist anymore tom yes i am going to race this weekend to those of you who tuned in to the last month's show which i hope is all of you um i did say i was hoping to be at strada bianca the following weekend which didn't happen and then i was hoping to be at knocker corsa which didn't happen uh but this weekend, I am leaving. I mean, I'm still in the UK, but tomorrow morning, crack of dawn, I am leaving for Belgium and I should be racing Gamwavelgam on Sunday, but it's four days away, so there is still time for something catastrophic to go wrong and knowing my luck, something probably will. Um, but yeah, flipping heck. I'm maybe you're, um, finally get going. Maybe your dropper post will get stuck or something. <laughs> It's all about, you're riding a dropper post. All the pros ride dropper posts now, right, surely? You know what? Well, you know, you if, you have, if you've missed this, Mate Mohoric winning Milan San Remo, I mean, how could you miss it? I mean, it's been everywhere, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, with a dropper post. I mean, if you've, if you've missed it, then you are living in a box. Um, but I, I think it's brilliant. I, I saw, you know, I saw about it and... Uh, and I just thought, you know, when somebody does something really cool and you just think, oh, why didn't I think of that first? That's such a good idea. And But, the but did you spot thing... it during the race? Because I, I I had no, I didn't notice it. At, I mean, obviously, I'm not looking at people's seat posts during the race, but I didn't notice it at all. I'm going to be honest with you, Tom. Uh, I was out on a ride during the race uh, and I got back and I watched the last um, 20 kilometres. So, no, I didn't right. notice uh, well, that was the droppiest bit for the dropper post. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I guess so. Um, I didn't notice. But then, uh, yeah, it was only afterwards. I didn't even watch the interview afterwards. It was only later that I heard about it. And I think the the best thing about about the whole dropper post saga is what he was doing. He was going into the peloton and playing psychological warfare with everybody, saying, hey, look at this dropper post. Look what I've got. Uh, uh, why have you got that? Well, if you follow me on the descents, you'll find out. So already he's putting this seed into everybody else's mind and everybody else already knows he's a faster descender. And then they're thinking, oh, hold on a second. When he does go hell for leather down the downhill, uh, he's got this extra advantage and they think, well, there's no way I'm going to follow him. And as soon as that moment when Pogaccio backed off, that's it, race over. But on on this, I'm, I'm going to dwell on dropper post for a while, I think. Um, what... How does that make you a better descender? Having is it is it just because the saddle's getting in the way, or, or lower? What is it? You can lower your centre of gravity. What is it doing? Yeah, lower centre of gravity, um, more aerodynamics, therefore able to go faster. Because if you think that the UCI has um, banned the super tuck position, which supposedly Mahoric invented, actually, um, oh, yeah. then you know there, there's kind of a, a terminal velocity that you can go downhill in. Um, your kind of normal position because with the UCI rules your bum has to be on the saddle so if you can get your bum lower and then you can get your whole body lower so your back's not sticking in the air and you can shift your weight about a little bit more because if you think about it on a mountain bike when you're going down these descents and you're trying to put your weight back and you're going side to side and you're getting lower that's what that's when the dropper post really comes into its own you know you get that saddle out of the way get lower on center of gravity and you have so much more confidence on the descents i haven't ever used it on a road bike but i have 
used it frequently on a mountain bike and it makes such a huge difference so it makes sense that that would be a transferable feature on the road so i mean if there are any mountain bikers listening to this podcast and i hope there are a few they're going to be going these guys are idiots we knew all about <laughs> dropper posts for, forever like and, it, and that is the way isn't it with mountain bikes like mountain bike comes to stuff so much earlier than road cycling i, I was just trying to think before this pod of all the sort of tech developments that have been around on mountain bikes for forever and then suddenly they're on road bikes and it's like wow like disc brakes for instance yeah i mean right? we, on the last episode we were talking about tire inserts um, yeah. and and okay they've not been around forever in mountain biking but they've been around for a good number of years that every single mountain bike knows enough. what they are and and in the road we're like oh my gosh this really exciting development the the tire insert it's going to do so much for us and you know this is the first year I'm going to be racing on tubeless and you know my brother has been saying to me for years when are you going to go tubeless when are you going to go tubeless um but I don't know I guess it's tradition isn't it you know the mountain biking scene doesn't have that you know god knows how many hundred years of you know tradition the that tradition it's yeah in, yeah um and feeling that it has to do things a certain way and i kind of feel like that with the road because i have no historical knowledge of cycling really so don't really understand why we don't do things <laughs> differently but it's so difficult so difficult to break the mold when the people that you're working with have always done something in a certain way well i do you know i, I feel like going out and buying a mountain bike bringing it back to my studio which can double up as a lab and then I'm gonna we're gonna cut the mountain bike up and look at all the different things that it does and go oh yeah we could take that oh you know we could we could have big wide flat bars for instance (laughs) what else is there with a mountain bike there's so much stuff in mountain bikes that we can look so the other things I was thinking about that they've done first like um huge huge cogs on your cassette I think they might have done um 11 or 12 speed I'm sure they did one bike before they did Oh, def- I would have thought so, definitely. Obviously, there's things like suspension. You've mentioned... Um, yeah, they're on you know, 13 speed on the mountain bikes. We've only yeah, just even t- got to 12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and even even like tyre width and tyre pressure and stuff, you know, they've, they've been well ahead of the game in that sense as well. So, yeah, I mean... Listen, we need to get we need to we need to get some mountain bikers on this podcast and just find out all the tech they're doing, you know, cuz yeah, it take a good 10 years later and the road bike catches up with it. <laughs> Would you use one on the road? Is it, are you going are you going to speak to your mechanic tomorrow and say I need one of those? Um, probably not in game level game in my first race. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's interesting, you know, it's got to be it would have to be a, a race where the descent is absolutely going to be critical. I mean, I don't know. I guess it would be an interesting thing to try, actually, to see, first of all, how much difference it could make on your standard descent. Because descents are always critical, you know, especially if you think of a race like the Giro d'Italia, and I'm sure this year's Tour de France. Um, if you lose your position on the descent, then, you know, it can be it can be race over if it's near the finish of a race. So, um I think that yeah, usually usually the descents are important, but you know this descent is absolutely so critical. The one in Milan San Remo, because you get to the bottom and there's, you know, if you've got a gap to a small group behind, you're you're more than more likely than not to win the race. Um, well, there is a, there is an issue though. I think like you know one of the things is is 
you know, descents seem to have got much more dangerous in pro cycling mm. with riders taking more risks. And I do worry that something like this, it sort of gives you a green light to take more risks. Because well, Morich it... nearly stacked it a couple of times, didn't he? You know? Yeah, but I see what you're saying. But does it actually create less risk? Because actually your centre of gravity is lower. So mm, therefore yeah. you've got better control of the bike. So it's difficult to say, you know, I don't, I don't, dis- well, I was going to say that I don't descend faster because I've got better brakes, but I think I probably do actually. <laughs> so just don't listen to anything I'm saying, basically. But um, no, I don't, I don't think that, you know, so it, it could be something that actually makes descending safer. But, you know, you've got to remember that there's also a weight penalty to that. Um, and so say if you're talking about a mountain stage, um, then if you're trying to really get down to the UCI weight limit, which is a lot harder these days with disc brake bikes, then you may not want to add the weight of a drop post. I don't know, I don't know how much it would be exactly. Um, not that much, but it's definitely more than your standard seat post. So, yeah, I think it swings and roundabouts. But I guess it would be interesting to try one and see what the benefits are. But I think that that trickle down to women's cycling will take a lot longer because, you know, there are still far fewer resources than in, in men's cycling. Okay, Lizzie. Well, look, we we could stay on mountain bikes and dropper posts forever, but there are other things to talk about. Um, what, there was something. Uh, did you want to talk about SRAM? Well, there is some transfer news with SRAM, but also with Classified CC, who we featured back on the podcast in December. Uh, and Van der Breggen, Kittel, and Greipel are all moving to Classified CC as an ambassador and investor, which is. Really interesting, actually, because I think we were talking back in December about how this brand is kind of going to break into um, the mainstream cycling world and that it might be difficult to do it through professional cycling because of the sponsorship contracts. Um, But having big names like those guys on board is interesting. And you mentioned, Tom, that it would, you know, perhaps if Shimano or SRAM were to buy it out, then that's when you'd really see it coming in. Well, SRAM have been, you know, on a bit of a... Uh, shopping spree recently they've obtained velocio uh time pedals and also hammerhead which is interesting because over the winter there were a number of different teams who had to change components because of um you know uh difficulty with sponsorship so uh canyon tram for instance used to ride speedplay pedals speedplay have been taken over by wahoo but canyon tram used garmin as their head unit so they couldn't have the wahoo pedals so it all gets pretty complicated. And with SRAM taking over Velocio, Time and uh, Hammerhead, you kind of wonder whether, you know, professional professional teams will then be more limited in what they can use due to their sponsorship contracts. So that's just quite an interesting uh, interesting bit of transfer news for you there. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That is Seb Piquet popping up to remind me to tell you that this episode of Service Course is sponsored by Harry's. Now, I do find shaving a chore. In fact, since the start of the pandemic, I, well, I grew a beard. I couldn't be bothered to shave anymore. I wasn't seeing anyone. But about a month ago, I took delivery of my first Harry's set And suddenly, look at me, I'm clean shaven and I feel fantastic. Now, being a fan of cycling and bikes and bike tech, 
I'm clearly someone for whom design is important and that's what I like about Harry's. The weighted handle is, well it just feels, it looks great and it feels great in your hand. It's a bit like holding a fountain pen or an item like that and I absolutely love using it. My set came with the shower gel and basically Harry's have taken over my whole grooming routine. If you want to give your own shower shave a go and redeem a free Harry's trial set, all you need to cover is the £3.95 for delivery. Just go to harrys.com slash cycling to have your set delivered and start a shave plan. Your freebie will be added at checkout. So that's harrys.com slash cycling. Well, Lizzie, uh, for this episode, we are talking about bike fits. I have to stress before we start, that I have never, ever had a bike fit. I don't think, looking at, looking at where I'm going with my cycling, that I ever will have a bike fit. Well, do you think that is because you, Tom, are bang average? I, I don't <laughs> think I'm bang average. I have, uh, I have had that confirmed that I'm bang average in every walk of life. I'm a solid five out of ten. You know, I've only had one bike fit ever, and um, I, I talk about this later uh, in an interview with James Roberts from Fit to Ride Bike, but it was because team wanted me to have a bike fit because they wanted to fit me to the bike. And I wonder if I'm one of those people that should have a bike fit because, you know, people see you riding around and they say, hold on a second, she, she looks a bit weird on the bike. But um, maybe some people just look weird on the bikes. I don't know. I... I guess we'll we'll delve into detail of why you should have a bike fit, who's it for. Uh, we'll try and answer some of Dave's questions. But as always, we digress. Hi, Lizzie, Tom and everybody at the Cycling Podcast. Thank you very much for everything you do. Dave Owen here from Rosliston in Derbyshire, or should I call it Darbados? And I'm also one of the moderators of the Cycling Podcast Facebook group. And thanks so much for everybody for your contributions on there. My question's around bike sizing, bike fit, and being a chap approaching 60 who's 5 foot 18 tall throughout my cycling life. I've struggled to get bikes the right size. And I'm sure people at the other end of the height spectrum and taller than me have suffered in the same way. You know, we're walking to a bike shop, we're asked if we were born in a greenhouse uh, and we look at the scrawny person behind the counter uh, and offer them cake and sympathy which is an aside they greedily take up and uh, you know it's not easy to get the bike we're just told sorry we don't do them in your size or we can't get them at that size or the molds aren't made that big it's very very frustrating and then when we just ride along the lanes and around here, and just in this village alone, there's four cycling cafes, so you tend to see quite a few cyclists. You don't see that many people sitting on bikes that fit them, or they've been sized in the right way. Now, bike fits are ubiquitous. We can get them everywhere, obviously. Um, so why aren't people taking it up? Or if they are being fitted, why aren't they being fitted properly? You know, in my mind's eye, I'm Philip Pagano when I'm out on my bike. But on a photograph, I look like a bear on a unicycle. So what can we do? to obtain bikes for those of us on either end of the height spectrum and those of us with you know stiffness in our joints as we get older and things like that why can't we get things the right size and just for joe average why can't joe or josephine average go to a bike shop and get something the right size and if they can how do they do it thanks ever so much bye 
Well, someone at the other end of the spectrum, but proves that being outside the bell curve doesn't mean you can't be the best in the world is the UCI Women's World Tour Best Young Rider for 2021, Neve Fisher-Black. So Neve, tell me about what it's been like for you in the past trying to find a bike that fits. Have you had the same experiences where you've walked into a bike shop and just, you know, not been able to find a single thing that fits you? Yeah, I mean, finding a bike that fits me has always been a challenge and I've always, I mean, it's something that I've always had to, as you say, I've never been able to walk into a bike shop and just go, oh yeah, I'd, I'd take that one, you know, it's always something, takes full planning and research and to what bike's going to fit best and and it, it's never the standard equipment that I can have on it, I always got to put the short stems, the short cranks, everything to make it as small as it possibly can be and always I'm always I'm at a point on the frame where I'm I guess on the well on the lower limit so I'm stretched on the frame rather than being yeah on a bike that is smaller proportionally to me it's always big on me and and is that the same with things like shoes and things as well have you always struggled to get shoes in the right side size because they're and, and I guess saddles as well because if you have narrow hips um then you need a narrower saddle so what about those sort of components um yeah uh, i mean saddles um yeah i'm i have trouble with saddles just because personally i'm picky with saddles but in terms of hip width i think my hip width is is fairly standard like i just run this the narrower male saddles which is, is fine for me because I mean as females we generally have wider hip widths than males anyway so we can get away with that but um and shoes uh I think proportionally to me I have fairly big feet so yeah <laughs> I I <laughs> I don't have too much trouble with shoes but I have found in the past that like shoe manufacturers will not make half sizes and in, in the smaller range of sizes for to say so yeah there are i mean maybe sometimes yeah i, I lose out a bit on the, on the sizing wise for, for equipment and things yeah and it's it comes down to availability doesn't it you know if you're a if you're a you know a male 43 then you you know that pretty much if you go down to the bike shop they're going to have it in stock but if you're a female you know narrow foot with the size i don't know what size feet are you yeah yeah exactly like it's if i yeah if i ever wanted to try a, a cycling shoe for size yeah i can't just pop to this uh, bike shop i'm for for me uh, and my sh- shoe size i'm between 37 and 38 so yeah it's it's on the smaller side um but generally it's not something it's not a generally stock size i guess So I remember actually back at the beginning of last year um, when we were riding together and we'd been um, on Big Lakatusha or whatever it ended up being called by the time it folded, Paul Car. Um, we were on Speedplay and Speedplay actually have three widths of pedals, 50, 52 and 54. And pretty much all other manufacturers have 52 millimeter pedal widths, I think. Um, and being you know, a, a smaller rider with a narrow frame, you then had to transition from a 50 millimeter spindle over to a 52. So, I mean, how did you find that? And did that affect your performance? Did you get any injuries? And did you have any difficulties with that at all? Um, yeah, actually, yeah. in 
the end, I found I was worried about it to begin with. But in the end, I found that uh, it was sort of more just a process of like any pedal changing process is just a getting used to things and, and adapting sort of the cleat position on the shoes uh, as much as you can to, to work with it. Yeah, as you say, all other manufacturers, pedal manufacturers, are using this 52 or whatever millimeter axle and it's, it's just what's standard. So it's just something that, yeah, I, I have to deal with. It's just, yeah, for smaller riders, maybe, yeah, we have a slightly wider, our feet slightly wider, or apart compared to our uh, upper body, I think it's called Q factor. So, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just something I had to learn to deal with, and I've had no injuries, and everything seems to be fine. And yeah, it feels fine to me now, and feels normal. So it's yeah, it's something your body adapts. Funny that I bet you I bet if I put you on a fifty millimeter pedal spindle now, you'd say uh, that feels weird and a bit narrow. Yeah, exactly. I any. I think Lizzie, you can agree with me that any tiniest changes and um, anything on the bike, you you feel straight away, and it's all as much in the head as anything else. So, yeah, yeah, you you spent long enough with me on a team to know that I'm forever fiddling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I definitely am too. <laughs> yeah, we went. I remember we went on a ride together, and uh, yeah, both always stopping to to change something or other by one millimeter here or there, unless it's absolutely perfect. It's never quite right, and. Uh, challenging it's challenging when yeah. you're as um as particular as as us isn't it <laughs> yeah exactly and then at the end of the day really realistically what difference is one millimeter gonna make to, to your power or anything more yeah it's a lot in your head <laughs> And also, I know that you have changed bike size this year. So last year, um, again, moving over to SD Works, of course, you've got, uh, you're with Specialized, you've got the Specialized Bike fit Fitters um, at your disposal. Um, and I think you were on, you were on a, is it extra small last year and an extra, extra small this year? And I guess I wanted to ask, why is it that you made that change? Um, and and how, you know, if you wanted to make that change, how come you didn't uh, end up on this, you know, extra, extra small bike in the first place? Like, what's the reason for, for going from one bike to the other? Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, on the Specialized, oh, the SL7 frame, it's, a, it's between a 49 centimetre frame and a 44 centimetre frame, which I ride now. And, yeah, last year I was riding the bigger frame just because... It was up to me, sort of. I mean, yeah, there's bike fitters, but at the end of the day, I sort of, I looked at the geometry, and as I said earlier, I, I've always been used to sort of riding bikes that are a little bit on the bigger side and riding short stems and and small components and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it was just natural that I leaned towards the bigger frame. And I also like on the bigger frames that they have a, a steeper head angle, which for me is feeling a little bit... Uh, racier and uh, sharper um, and I, I worried that yeah I'm always overthinking things I worried that I, it would change my feeling if I went to a smaller frame with a slacker head angle um, but yeah actually in the end this year I had the opportunity to try the smaller frame and I hopped on it and and I noticed that I had this uh, opportunity to ride long stem and completely sort of change I guess how I sat on the more 
my weight over the bike and things like that. And for me, I found it really improved my handling and things like that. And I feel a lot more stable on the bike. And yeah, so it just, I guess it shows that it all comes down to really how you feel on the bike and um, really finding a point that is working for you. Yeah, some people prefer the bigger frames and the shorter stems and some people, yeah, I found that I like the short, smaller frame and the longer stem. Um, yeah, and it's about just finding that balance and, and how, you, how you like it to be. But yeah, I'm pretty grateful that I have the opportunity to have the smaller frame this year um, uh, with Specialized because, yeah, I think not many manufacturers, as you say, make such a small frame. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about, you know, being able to ride these two frames because I had this a similar conversation um, with my mechanics and with Lauren Stevens about her bike because we're pretty much exactly the same size um, and I ride a 51 and she rides, um, I can't remember if Cannondale do it as 48 or 49 and it, when you look at Lauren you don't think, you know, she's a tall rider, you wouldn't think that she would fit on a frame that size but it's kind of similar with me because the Cannondale bikes have, um, have quite straight top tubes and I could I could size down on a 49 and then have a slightly longer stem or I could size up on a 51 and have a slightly smaller stem. And so just because you are, in my case, 170 centimetres tall doesn't mean I have to be on a 51 bike. So obviously we are in this, you know, luxurious predict position where we can chop and change and we can say to our mechanics you know oh can I just try that 110 stem can I try the 120 can I try the 100 can I change the handlebars yeah, um, yeah, exactly. but I guess you know if you if you don't have that then then what do you do do you go to a bike fit and um or you know like what have you done in the past when you've had just one size of frame and you haven't been able to kind of you know have access to to mechanics have, have you had any tricks that you've been able to do to kind of um manipulate the bike other than or has it just been you know you've just had to buy extra equipment yeah well i mean as as you say like it, it's funny this sort of the sizing that bike manufacturers give because it's always this this number like 51 or 49 but actually i think this is it's not really meaning much or correlating much. It takes a lot of looking into the geometry of a bike. And I, I, over the years, I, just because I, I'm sort of interested in it too, I like to look a lot to the geometry of bikes and I'm always looking at the geometry of things. And um, yeah, so I, I've come to know how, like what, how to read it thinking mm, between mm. the between the bikes like you can always measure up between different bikes and 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 figure out how long a stem you can run on this this certain top tube or something like this and and yeah that's this i guess how you if you are not if you don't have access to the bike fitting that's how you should do it just compare between bikes between a previous bike and a new frame it, it's yeah it's all possible i mean you can find um uh, geometry tables for for all for all manufacturers I think on all frames so yeah shoot uh, shoot that area du peloton cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack please this episode of service course is sponsored by linkedin now today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it's free. Now, we've used LinkedIn here at the Cycling Podcast to recruit producers. I've also used it personally for my own business. I work for myself um, as a 
freelance producer so I'm often responding to job adverts on LinkedIn. I'm also pleading for jobs on LinkedIn and letting people know that I'm available. But I also have a production company myself called Stripped Media and we've used LinkedIn ourselves to hire for big projects, radio production, podcast production projects that we're doing. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs and it reaches the world's largest professional network with over 30 million people in the UK alone. Focus on candidates with the skills and experience that you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster and you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash cycle. Again, that's linkedin.com slash cycle to post a job for free. Just a warning though, if you do post a podcast production job, I may apply. Hi, I'm James Roberts. Uh, I run Fit to Ride Bike Fit in Rippenden, West Yorkshire. First off, why does anybody need a bike fit? I mean, and I think that's, it sounds like a stupid question, but I think that's a good question because... Gen- gen- genuine question, yeah. I've only ever had one bike fit and that was last mm. year. And that was because I, I was told I had to have one and they wanted to fit me to the bike rather than the bike to me. So it's not something that even as a professional rider, you automatically have. So why, why does anyone need a bike fit? Look, I think the, the st- you, my starting point for for everything that I do is that, and you know, honestly, for most people who are in this industry, probably whether they realise it or not, that the starting point is that we didn't, the human body has not evolved to sit on a Victorian contraption, be trapped in that space, and be fastened to the pedals. And it's just you know, it's an alien environment, and it's probably it can be quite a hostile environment for the body. Um, and all I try to do. And all, in my opinion, and this is, you know, this is <laughs> all you are trying to do is make that space neutral, you know, so that the body can function in the best way without stress, you know. And obviously, there's a whole bundle of other stuff that comes into it in terms of, you know, you know what you're using the bike for, basically. Um, but the basic premise is, you know, create some create a neutral environment where the body can function without being under excessive duress because it's always going to be under some because it's not meant to be there. So I suppose to answer your question, if you look, some people there's a bit of a random number generator here because some people will get on a bike um, and they'll put everything in, they'll put a seat in the middle of the rails, they'll kind of guess the seat height, they'll, and, and they'll be somewhere near. And some people will do the same thing and not be anywhere near. And I think if you are uncomfortable on the bike, then get a bike fit. Because the, gen, genuinely, in, in, at this point in time, I don't think there is the need to be uncomfortable on the bike. Or to suffer on a bike, you know, by all means hurt your legs, but don't be hurting your hands and your neck and your, you know, other, other parts of the body that are challenged when you put them on a bike. So going back to Dave's question, I mean, we have, we do have so many tools today in order to be comfortable on a bike. And when you go into a bike, bike shop, theoretically, you know, they should give you a bike that's the right size. I mean, whose responsibility is it there in order to make sure customers have the right size bikes or should we all have mandatory bike fits that come with the sale of a bike i think so that's an, that's a question for the for, for the 
industry air quotes rather than rather than me probably to uh, look my, my advice is if you are going to buy a new bike and you are spending you know the price of bikes is through the roof you know and if you're spending three four five six seven eight nine thousand pounds on a bicycle then it makes sense to me being a yorkshireman who's careful with his money to to spend 200 pounds on a pre-purchase fit so that you actually know that that money is going to get you what you need and you are going to be happy on that bike rather than it's going to be so it's not going to be appearing on ebay in six months you know and, and i think those are you know i've had you know periodically you, you have those difficult conversations with people where they turn up with you know bikes that have cost you know more than my car and the bike is never going to work um and those aren't those aren't nice conversations to have with people because not everyone can afford to kind of write that write that money off or take a loss on it so i would say you know if you are buying a bike and you don't have an established position um in terms of numbers and body position on the bike then get fitted um and from my perspective I, I would if it was me i would get fitted by someone who didn't have a dog in the buying a bike fight you know in terms of you know we've got this you know 56 or 58 in stock that we need that we'd like to that we'd like to sell you uh, from one brand because different people will you know, suit different brands better than others. And I don't think, you know, with the best will in the world and without, you know, without kind of, you know, with absolutely no cynicism on the part of the bike shop, if you go to a bike shop, they are going to try and sell you what they sell, you know, because that's what they are. That's the point of their existence. Make sense? Yeah. So what you're saying is get fitted, then buy a bike. Get, and get like, fitted it, it first. Makes, it makes yeah. total sense, doesn't it? But, but I guess it doesn't it doesn't occur to most people to go to a bike fit without a bike but actually if you're going to spend a lot of money you want to be getting the right size how I mean how often do you do you have people coming to you who have who are on the wrong size bike because I see it all the time I see I see wrong wrong size probably quite infrequently I see wrong shape and the two are different I see wrong shape every week um maybe that's what i'm seeing and i didn't realize that's what i was saying yeah it's, look, <laughs> look i think in, ter in terms of sizing you know most people can ride well pretty much everyone can ride two sizes of bike most people could probably ride three sizes of bike but one of them would you, you'd be kind of pushing your shortening stems or making stems longer and it, it would look disproportionate but the shape of bike basically in terms of that stack and reach you know, so the, the real-world length of the bike and the real-world height of the bike, those are the things that are important. Um, and, you know, that that comes down to morphology, you know. So just because you're six foot, two six-foot people can, can have very different requirements if one of them has very long legs and short body and vice versa. And the other side of it is a whole, you know, there's a whole bundle of other stuff: age, flexibility, strength, health, purpose of bike. You know, that affects that choice. But the, the the sizing is normally reasonably easy to get right. The the the, the 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 you know the actual shape of the bike is the harder 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 aspect probably, and that's where people 
probably go wrong. And you can put, well, if you put a, there's a well-known manufacturer who markets an endurance road bike, but that endurance road bike, which, so you, so if you, if you're a 40 something mammal who's played golf all his life, looking for, looking to start road cycling, if you read on your, if you go on Google and you look on internet forums and you read magazines, they will say, so you have, so you are a 40 something male uh, you know, moderate, you know, it's kind of limited flexibility, limited function, then endurance road bike is right for you. So you go on the internet, endurance road bike, and this bike pops up. But what you don't know is that it's just got a name on it that says endurance road bike, but it's got the shortest head tube known to man, you know? So that when you get it, you've got 15 centimeters of drop and you feel like you're doing a permanent plank. And then you have um, to put a load of spaces in to make the sack uh, up. But but then there's a but there's a limit to that. Mm. You know, you can you can do forty mil, and then you, you're out of adjustment. And and those are the conversations that I have with people where I say, and they say, well, it's an endurance road bike. That's what I was told I needed. Yeah, but that's not an endurance road bike. That's just got a, that's just got a word on it. You know, it's just got a label. Um, so it's fraught with difficulty. I think the best way, you know, the best way to circumvent all this and to make your life easier and, you know, less stressful is just to get fit first, you know, invest. And, and I would say this one time, but, you know, in, invest a little bit of money in making sure that what you're going to buy is actually going to work. When you go into a bike fit, aren't there certain measurements for, um, say knee angle, uh, hip angle. Now, where do these measurements come from? Are they um, evidence based? Are they anecdotal over years of bike fitters experience? Because surely if we're saying one size does not fit all, then how do we transfer a, a simple measurement to every rider and say, off you go, you're going to be happy. Um, this is the perfect fit for you. Right. Um, well, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's a short answer to that question. <laughs> I think, right, that, that, just whizzing back, whizzing back to, to, to Dave, who's nearly two, meet, two metres tall, which is six foot six-ish in old money. Um, so going back to Dave, um, the, the bike industry, well, I, I suppose like any industry, works on works so we, we they employ the mean average you know so that's me you are all, standard well standard you know, average. five, five you're talking <laughs> to a five foot nine five foot nine bloke with size nine feet so you kind of you know that I'm, I'm banging the middle of that bell curve so i don't have any trouble finding stuff but when you get to the extremes of the curve so dave's six foot seven um and I did a fit last week for a lady who was 150 centimetres tall, which is teeny tiny. When you get to those points, you are limited. So you're limited on, the, to, to be honest, I've, my tallest customer is probably, I've got a couple that are probably in that six, 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 seven range. And they are both on the same German brand of, bike could we mention brand names i don't know um yeah but, go for it. But, yeah i mean if you know so, where to find the big ones and the so, small so, ones so they it. so they are both on canyon biggest bike um because those are the only bikes that are big enough you know and 
at the other end of the scale, you know, when you get when you get to small, so you can get plenty of small frames. You know, finding a double XS or triple XS or however they label it frame is not. I'd say you, know, you can like, you can now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's and it is and I think it is improving. You know, and to be fair to the to the air quotes industry, it, it, I think we are slowly edging forward. But when you get to the so at the bottom and bottom extreme of the range, you find that you can't get cranks short enough easily, and you can, and the wheels are too big, you know. And you know, you know, Emma Poole is the the famous example of someone who really needs a six fifty. You know, she's on six fifty, but and they and they Canyon again going back to the German bike brand with whom I have no financial connection, although. I'm a 54 if they want to send me anything. Um, again, their, their double XS and triple XS come with 650 wheels. And, and they're the only people who do that. You know, and, and, and yes, the cranks are still too long, you know, because a 165 crank, if you're 150 centimetres tall, a 165 crank is too long. Um, but it is getting better. But again, you, we're working on that bell curve. So when you talk about numbers in bike fit, all those numbers are based around, and the leg extensions, the, the kind of, you know, the, the famous one, the, you know, the kind of, if you, those numbers are based around the average. So if you are not, if you're banging in the middle of that curve, which is actually surprisingly few people, then you will get a satisfactory result by using a numbers-based process. Um, if you're not, then you probably won't. You know, and if you take, if you're if you're aiming for an arbitrary target, so 142 degrees, for example, of the the extension, then for some people that's too much, and for some people that's not enough. And look, I I think everyone who so going back again, the reason that these, to me anyway, the reasons that these systems gain traction is at least wow. It's probably partly because the, the bike fitting, you know, the, the, the art slash science of bike fitting, and it is a bit of both. But that, that was probably still in development. But those numbers-based systems are also partly based around trading. You know, because if I'm working for a major bike manufacturer um, and, I've got, and I'm delivering a bike fit training course and I have, you know, 10 people come to see me and, and I might have one day, I might have two days. But they come at 10, they have a break for coffee, then you have lunch, they have another coffee break, then you have you know, finish at four o'clock. So you might have four or five hours in a day. And in that time, you've got to be able to deliver the training so those people can go into a, into a store that bears the company's name the following day or the day after that and deliver a bike fit that, that's going to be functional. And the only thing you can teach in that time realistically it is numbers and structure and measurement and i think everyone who started you know that's how i started bike fitting um and some people still measure a lot um and i'm not saying that's wrong i i i stopped measuring some time ago in the kind of conventional knee angle torso angle sense of the word and try to put numbers on stuff because it it, it doesn't work as well as what I do now, and that's a that's a kind of evolution that I've been through. Um, 
It's one, of those, it's one of those things you're kind of measuring for measuring's sake, just to give the customer a number yeah. rather. Than and it, and it, it doesn't, and, it, and it's and it's and it's arbitrary. Mm. You know, they are arbitrary numbers. And what 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 you normally find if you so if you're talking about knee angle, which is basically a kind of you know that's I suppose it's the basic arbitrary of seat height. You know, if you're talking about seat height, if you set seat height in other ways, um, you know, functional ways which is what I do and what a lot of, you know, to be honest, most of the people I would go and see for a fit don't measure. You know, just don't do, don't, don't, you know, we, we might measure fit illustration, but we don't measure as a target. And if you set seat height and, you know, kind of reach and drop in other ways, functional ways, then the numbers that you end up with are normally somewhere in the range you know, they're, they're, they're normally in that kind of 140 to 145 degree range that, that those kind of numerical systems target. But that number is a byproduct, not the target itself. Because you, you, you get, otherwise you, you're kind of aiming for a figure. And you know, if you're a performance cyclist like you are, then that number may be, you know, you might not be, at, you, you may not be getting everything out of yourself. Um, and if you're that kind of, you know, that archetypal 45-year-old mammal that we've talked about, then that, that may be asking, you know, 145 degrees of the extension may be asking way too much of your hamstring. So is that the reason why we see so many morphologically typical uh, folk riding bikes in what looks like an uncomfortable position? Uh, because their hamstrings are not up to... <laughs> I, th I think you look. You, you've kind of got to be. The, the, this is going to sound possibly strange, but the, the the first thing I I would say is that it's very dangerous to well, dangerous is the wrong word. Um, it, it's risky to judge someone's fit by an aesthetic, you know, because we are not. We, we are not all the same, clearly. Um, and I think people, can, you know, you, you've got, you, you, work to, you work to with it, you work to the limitations of the rider, you know, always. Um, and I think the aesthetic result of that varies depending on the rider. You know, and if, you know, every, everyone who comes to see me, whether they are, you know, riding a world tour race or whether they are just starting out. We, we work to the same, I work to the same protocol and the same process and the same basic principles. And we may, you know, we, we, we probably push a little bit more in some directions, but the process and the, you know, the, the principles that I'm working to are the same, but the result is very different aesthetically because one, one of those riders is in the top 1% of, you know, athleticism on a bike, and and the other one may not be. So, it, so it's kind of. <laughs> so when when I see people riding past, and I, you know, we live on a cycling road, and I see people riding past all the time as I'm working, think, oh, seat too high, seat too low, I don't know. Um, and for for, <laughs> but but you don't know what that rider is capable of, and it's uh, so. What happens when you make an adjustment? What's the response? You know, is the response positive or is the response negative? So, you know, I, I like you see people riding around thinking, oh, that can't be right. 
and 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 probably because I spend too much time looking at people on bikes. You're probably, probably right, and I'm probably pro- wrong. Pro- probably, I'm, probably I'm right. I'm right quite a lot of the time without giving myself a rap. But I think it is difficult to always tell because until you start moving someone around and understanding how they work on a bicycle it's a dangerous game to play and we kind of all watch you know we watch the you know there are some fairly extreme I think generally if you watch world tour races you know men and women you know generally the positions are becoming what I would term more neutral um, and more proportionate whereas if you go back if you go back 10 years, I think you'll probably see some more extreme positions and they are still around and some of, you know, some of the most famous riders in the sport probably are positions that I would regard as kind of extreme and, and probably not, not neutral and not functional, but they make them work because they are in that, you know, they are the, the rides I'm talking about are in the top 0.01% of the, you know, so it, it, it's, yeah, I think it's hard to judge people just on what you see when you are when you are out on a ride. But yeah, you, I think we all see the same. We all see the same stuff, and we all think, oh, "Is that right? It can't be right. It can't be comfortable." I find it fascinating to watch, even in uh, the professional peloton, because I think it's a great example of how one size does never, you know, never fits all. If you just think of about saddle height, for instance, two of the you know best riders in the world past and present uh, Annemiek van Vleuten and Chris Freeman are at complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Annemiek rides with a very toe down style. I um, I don't know how she does it, but she's obviously incredibly powerful. You know, <laughs> she's, yeah, ridiculous. Um, and then Chris Freeman rides with a very, very flat foot at the bottom of his pedal stroke, very much how I ride actually. And I do find it fascinating how these completely contrasting pedal styles are both so effective and so that's why you know it's impossible to to copy anybody you, you think okay look at that person on the bike i want to look like them so dave don't bother looking like Filippo gana because maybe that that doesn't work for you listen you can't talk about bike fits in the uk without talking to phil burt um, yeah, I mean, I, I stood up and said a controversial thing once at a bike fit conference was not everybody needs a bike fit, which you might find surprising <laughs> for a man who wrote a book called Bike Fit. But um, that comes down to, yeah, so I think I think you're right. So just to, to lift and borrow a couple of phrases from the, my book, which has seemed to have gone down well, which is where, you know, um, I describe Jaron Thomas as a macro absorber and um, Ben Swift as a micro adjuster. So we see these different, some people, one cent, one millimeter change in something on the bike and it, they're going to know about it, feel it, it might cause them pain or discomfort. Um, they're the micro adjusters. Your, your listeners might recognize themselves as somebody, you know, they are often constantly trying to figure, tweak things, move things, have to have their position exactly the same, can't jump on different bikes. And then you have someone like G who allegedly rode half a stage of the tour <laughs> for the wrong spare bike. And he wouldn't know. You know. It doesn't mean he's optimal, but he doesn't get broken by it. So then you take that, you've got those two things. And then, yeah, with age, we become, remember, the bike's adjustable, we're adaptable. We definitely get, as human beings, less adaptable to get older. So, yeah, the miles on the clock start to count up, you know, so the more injuries you have, the more restrictions you have. So, yeah, I wouldn't say every, you have to go and get a bike for every year. But as you go through life, you might want to revisit it because what was ideal when you're in your 30s might not work for you as well in your 40s. 
A great example of that is you may well have got away with uh, maybe a slightly longer crank length than would have been optimal when you were younger. But as you get older, that may, that's you know, really closing up your hip at the top of the pedal stroke. And we generally get a bit tighter on our hips as we get older, you know, because if we play lots of change of direction sport when we're young, especially in men. And the, the world, remember what we're doing right now, Tom, I mean, let's face it, you know, manual labor isn't as common as it used to be. And most of us are basically molded into a chair looking at a screen, which is not cycling. Yeah. So it's, it, it's uh, yeah, getting the right, our process basically tries to recognize the individual. We don't fit to numbers. Everyone's bike fit is different, but you have a, a certain window that you can work in. And that window gets a bit narrower as we get older, you know, so the, the, the scope of where you're at. So that's where sometimes the little tricks you can have about getting someone into a position where they can achieve their goal. And that's the most important thing to do, to yeah. say any bike fit is to understand the goal at the beginning. So obviously, you know, you know, we talked about Bradley winning team pursuit in under four minutes. The goal and the parameters of that are completely different to me and you maybe doing Land's End on a gross, you know? So yeah, yeah. If people start with that, then you can get to that place. But absolutely, I think as we get older, our position definitely um, needs to change with us, you know? You've mentioned crank length twice, right? And I, do you know what? Crank length is probably the, the thing I've paid the least amount of attention to on my bike. You know, it comes with a certain set of cranks. You might, the next bike you buy, well, I'll just check what the crank length on my old bike was. I'll have the same thing like that. I have never, ever attempted to or thought about changing it. Are we missing, am I missing a, a big trick here with crank length? Yep. <laughs> um, people who've heard me before feel like a... So it used to be thought that crank length was um, relevant to, you know, your your size. So, for example, Bradley used to ride 177 and a half, you know. Um, and as you say, certain bikes come with that. But um, some work by my colleague, Paul Barrett, who uh, was, did a PhD in this uh, back in the 2009-10 type sort of time, um, decoupled the myth that crank length makes no difference to power in sub-max cycling, which is what we do. It is important in maximal cycling, but maximal cycling is like team sprint, getting off the start line, first three revolutions, right? We don't do that, right? So yeah. if you go, so crank length, you have to go as big as uh, 320, I think it is, or as small as 80 millimeters to see crank length make a difference, meaningful difference to your power output. Given that it doesn't do that, it is strange that we don't pay more attention to it, but I do, and I'm manipulating, you know? So um, it's really, <laughs> quite, you know, um, both in terms of performance, for example, you know, as you get lower and lower in a aerodynamic time trial position, your hip gets more and more closed because your back angle is quite low. Um, your thigh's coming up into your chest. It's harder to breathe. You're losing power at the top of the pedal stroke. Your knees are getting close to the arm pads. Though. So reducing crank length opens up the hip. It really does, you know. Uh, more importantly for um, some of the listeners is um, if you, you know, you have, uh, for example, you just mentioned if you have one-sided knee pain or anything like that, it could well be coming from uh, some asymmetry in yourself, you know. Um, all crank length does is amplify asymmetries because it's, you know, further up on the pedal slowing down. So by decreasing crank length, you can decrease any contribution of those sort of things. And the last thing I'll leave you with is, it, you know, if, if I said to you right now and, and trying to convince people to change crank length, if I put a gym box, a one meter high gym box in front of you now, Tom, and said, right, jump on that a hundred times, or you can jump on this four inch step. I'll give you a hundred pounds either way. Which one would you choose? You'd choose the four inch step. <laughs> yeah, right. right. That, sure. That, yeah, that is yeah. So um, why make it harder? Um, I don't think the cycling industry has really cottoned on to it, but what, why 175? Why 172? I, I, I don't really know anymore. Yeah, But I have great success in convincing people to switch their crank clamps and, and, and 99% of the time all they can say is uh, 
wow, you know, just like, and they come back. Really interesting is one of those things you don't notice how much of a difference it makes until you try and ride a bigger crank length again. And it's one of those ones that you go that you go in the right direction, you come back to it and they go, we often get emails back with people talking about their second bike saying, I've just gone on my winter bike, it's horrible. Do I need to change the crank length on it? And you're like, yes, that's it, yeah. you come into this you know you come into this world and you are a you are a physio but then you, i mean you you managed to combine your your knowledge of physio with the the equipment side of things but yes. presumably presumably that was a whole new area for you you had which you had to learn really quickly yeah um yeah good point yeah. <laughs> i don't um yeah coming from where i was and so this is the reason why we do physio led bike fits because cycling is a completely different sport so it's so important down so dependent upon the equipment setup quite often. So it was when I started to see riders come in and, you know, in medicine, we always say it's always in the history and we tell the history, you know, well, okay, so why have you got knee pain? And it became quite apparent to me, quick, uh, people who changed their, you know, oh, when did your knee pain start? When I changed my shoes or when I changed my cleats or when I changed my pedals or when I got my new bike. So I went hunting around to try and find out, well, well how, where's the manual for me to learn this? And there wasn't anything. That's why partly the reason why I wrote a book in 2012, because there was half a book by Andy Pruitt that specialized on bike fit. And then I went starting to go on some of these bike fit courses. Bike fit's not really a profession though. So it's a bit of a, you know, he said an industry that's sort of beholden to itself, you know, but yeah, that's when I started to realize that, hold on a minute, this is really, and, and started to go around the world trying to find out the reasons why, why certain, and I'm still learning today, <laughs> so massively, you know, because you just, it, you start yeah. to realize that things are different. Um, in some ways, you know, when you're improving the people I was looking after in by 2%, it's obviously very important because that can be the difference between winning and losing. But um, what well, the joyous thing we have now is improving some of our clients by 30 to 40% because they, they have, they're not as polished. You know, most of the riders who end up at that elite level, they're, they're pretty much, yeah, their bike position is not going to be too bad. Otherwise, they never would have got there. You know, it's, it's all by default. But yeah, that's why I became yeah. really interested in it. And to be honest with you, you know, I, I referenced earlier, your rugby is a great sport and I love it, but it, it's pretty simple realizing why someone's got a bad neck where you see them running to a 120 kilo other bloke. <laughs> um, Cycling is quite interesting, you know. So I, I, can't, I won't mention a name, but there was somebody at Team Sky who started a grand tour once and they phoned me up after three days, said, Can you have a word with him because he's got really bad knee pain? I said, What have you done? And he changed his shoes, his insoles, and his cleats and his pedals the day before he started. <laughs> Uh, I would advise anybody who's doing a big race never to do that. <laughs> you know, so, why on earth did you do that? I think I know the reason why you're knee pain. Do we have the old ones? Yes, let's put them back on. <laughs> you know, so but yeah. So just shows you that even the best one, best people make some mistakes. The cycling podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks, as ever, to the wonderful Science in Sport for their continued support of the cycling podcast and all we do here across, well, all of our shows, really. Um, I had a moment this week. I was in one of those discount supermarkets where I do a lot of my shopping now, cost of living crisis. Saw a crowd of people in there, very excited around a middle aisle because there were some science in sport products there and I did hoover some up myself of course got to stock up on my gels but if only those people knew that they could just go to scienceinsport.com and enter the offer code SIS 
CP25, they wouldn't have to go to the supermarket. They could do it all from home. So go to SIS.com and enter the offer code SISCP25 and get 25% off your order. Well, Dave, I hope we managed to answer some of your questions on mountain biking, but I think Tom has a bit of better advice for you. Yeah, you just just get a mountain bike. I mean, their saddles go up and down, so you don't even need to fit them, apparently. It's brilliant. That, I that's mean, how it works. Speaking of mountain biking, when before we see each other again, Tom, it will be Paris-Roubaix, which, again, I hope to be at, if nothing else uh, goes horrifically wrong. Um, mm. And it's just another example of a race where we could be taking all of this great technology from the mountain bike side. Um but we're not. We're so, so slow. And, you know, you've kind of got these all these ISO decouplers from Trek and um, Pinarello got their, like, bendy fork. Uh, but does it really make that much difference? You know, double-wrapped double, double wrapped bar tape, is that as good as we can do? Surely there is some kind of suspension system. I mean, SRAM actually made one recently, a suspension system for the gravel bike that you can switch on and off really easily and it's only got a very small amount of travel. So... I'm I'm just amazed that we haven't seen something like that in a race like Paris-Roubaix yet. Well, listen, I'm deadly serious. That next episode, you've got a mountain bike, haven't you, Lizzie? I do. So bring it bring it here to my <laughs> studio, and I'll get all I'll get all my tools out, and we're going to do an autopsy on the bike and just discover discover what sort of magic is really in a mountain bike and what we can pin. I mean, I have got a mountain it. bike, okay. but I would like to still have a mountain bike in a month's time. Well, I would quite like to saw it in half, so. <laughs> We're, I think we're at an impasse here. If anybody has a mountain bike they would like to donate, please contact um, Richard Moore at the Cycling Podcast. I feel like I feel like there's loads of things inside a mountain bike that we haven't even seen yet. Like, what is this? Wow. Um, yeah. Great, great stuff. Uh, Lizzie, um, I'm going to let you go. Um, you are racing Ghent level again, as you said. What's after that? Presumably, you're going to get through that unscathed. That's what. I'm uh, assuming I get through for. it unscathed, um, Dvazdorf Landeren Flanders, if I'm good enough, uh, which I doubt actually, because I've only done about a week of training, and when I say training, my legs think it's December, um, and then Schalde Price, then Roubaix, so and so- Liège, Preston Liège. Ah. So you're leaving tomorrow then, and then are you away for for the duration then, a few weeks? No, I'm away for a couple of weeks, back to the UK, uh, and then back over for Paris Bay. And then, uh, yeah, everything's been moved around a bit because of um, the French elections. So, Roubaix. Ah, is, is that later. what it is? I was wondering. I was wondering why I couldn't work out why Amstel Gold was before was like before Roubaix or something. Yeah, I was like, it, why it's, didn't no one it's thrown us all. Something. I can't get my head around it either. <laughs> Two weeks between Amstel Gold and Liège, Bastogne Liège. French elections, that's what it is. So thanks for... Well, listen, you you may have answered Dave's question. You've definitely answered my question. So that's pretty good. <laughs> there we that's, go. That, that's not a bad... That's, uh, that's above average, Lizzie. So well done. <laughs> 